Your Bibles this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 14. So we'll be looking today, Matthew chapter 14. Uh, today we conclude our sermon series uh, titled Running on Empty. We've been looking together over the last uh, four weeks, um, three weeks, I guess. Today's the fourth. At some different ways, some different steps that we take. Uh, when we find ourselves in a difficult season and we just uh, feel like that um, uh, we're just running on empty in a lot of ways, uh, probably, but for sure, even spiritually. And I told you uh, as we moved along that I've kind of been preaching from where I'm living and the Lord has been helping me. I trust that he's been helping you. The first uh, week we talked about the importance of remembering upward and then we talked about how we should reflect inward. Last week we talked about how that when we do those things that God promises his provision day by day. Aren't you glad this morning again that his, his, of his uh, provision every single day, it's new every day. If you're glad for that, say amen. We depend upon that. I'm so thankful for it. And uh, today I want us to see just how we can tap in to that provision and really refuel our soul. And uh, to, to kind of discover that, I want us to look into the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus is always our example. And so I want us to look here in Matthew 14 at a picture of Jesus that I believe can help us. Uh, it's hard for us, I think, to in our minds think about Jesus running on empty, right? I mean, we just can't quite wrap our minds around the thought that Jesus could actually uh, uh, understand maybe how we feel when we go through these things. But I have to remind you that Jesus Christ faced the pressures of this life while he walked on this earth exactly the same as we face the pressures that we face. Uh, he, he was often tired. He was uh, hungry just like we get hungry. He felt the pressures uh, mounting uh, uh, based on the needs of others around him uh, along with the hardships uh, that, that came his way, the temptations. We know he faced temptation and those things happen and circumstances. He faced everything that we face just like us. Hebrew writer says he faced it all without sin, right? I'm glad that Jesus Christ understands how we feel this morning. If you're glad for that, say amen. He understands. He knows what it's like to run on empty. And so I want to show you an example of that. And let me, to do that, let me give you a little background in what's taking place in Jesus' life on this particular day. Here in the beginning of Matthew 14, we're reminded that, uh, that, that John the Baptist had been put into prison because, to make a long story short, he stood up to King Herod. And, uh, and because of that, he was put into prison. And <clears throat> um, when, it, when he was there in prison, there was a series of events that took place that eventually led to John's death. Now, I have to remind you, who John the Baptist was uh, to Jesus. He was, first of all, a relative of Jesus, but he was also the forerunner. John had gone ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry, so John was very special to Jesus in, in, in his life. No doubt he loved him. No doubt he cared for him deeply. And so when he hears of the death of his friend and his loved one and his counterpart in ministry, Matthew gives us uh, this kind of description of the way Jesus responds. Matthew 14, beginning with verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, when he'd heard that John had been put to death, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. In other words, he wanted to, he wanted to kind of get away from all that was happening uh, around him that day. But I want you to, to notice what happens. When he is experiencing this grief and he wants to get away, I mean, how many of us would want to get away and kind of process all that was going on, right? That's exactly how we would have responded. Notice what happens. Matthew 14, the latter part of verse 13 and into 14. Here's what it says. Hearing of this, hearing that Jesus had withdrawn, 
The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, remember, Jesus is trying to get away, right? He lands, he sees this large crowd. The Bible tells us he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus receives this news about John. He tries to withdraw from the other things going on around him just to have some time for himself, and rightfully so. But instead, the crowds hear that he's, that he's going the other direction, so they go the other direction. They make their way there. Jesus is coming in by boat. As he approaches, he sees this huge crowd is there awaiting him. And he was hoping to be off alone by himself. And so I had to kind of pause there and think about this. How would you have reacted Verse 14, kind of put your name in this verse, when Brian, when Brian landed and saw the large crowd, right? Put your name in there. He or she blank. How would you respond? You're trying to get away. You find that everybody is all crowded up waiting on you to arrive. How do you respond? Here's how I respond. Can I tell you? Can I just be honest and transparent with you? Now, I know you would never respond like this, but you just have to give me grace this morning. All right? Are you ready? Got angry. Right? Was frustrated. What in the world? Right? I'm just trying to get away for a few hours. What in the world? What are all, come on, give me a little grace here. What are all these people doing here, right? Is this how we respond? Or, or we, we just turn the boat, right? The boat's coming in, here, here, here I come, right? And I get close to shore and I see all these people and what? All of a sudden the boat turns and it starts going in the other direction, right? Or how about all of the above? We get angry, we get frustrated, we turn the boat around, we're going to find a quiet spot, right? That's how I would respond. Now I know you wouldn't respond that way, you would respond like Jesus, right? Listen to how Jesus responds. All the pressure. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. If you're thankful for a compassionate Savior today, say amen. And I said that's how I would respond, but my hope and desire is that God would help me to respond like Jesus would respond. Amen? So Jesus, in trying to get away, trying to process the death of his friend, on top of that, all of the other pressures of ministry that it had brought before he'd heard about John, he stays with the people. He spends all day ministering to them. In fact, if you read, and we're not going to take time to do it this morning, but if you read through Matthew 14, what you find is that Jesus heals their sick, and then he realizes they've been there all day, and the people are hungry. And so here's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men and all of the other people gathered there. So Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves, feeds them all. I mean, Jesus spent the entire day ministering to these people. Think about it. As the day began to draw to a close for Jesus, how do you think he felt? I mean, in his humanness, how do you think he felt? Now, don't get me wrong, great things had been accomplished this day. Think about it. 
right? I mean, we, we, we hear the story of the fish and the loaves. I mean, it, it's one of the highlight stories of Jesus' ministry, right? I mean, we think about that. And people have been touched and healed and, and lives changed forever and testimonies would ripple, just like the one we heard this morning. Testimonies would ripple through communities all over the countryside because of what Jesus had done that day. Some great things had been accomplished, right? But still, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, In his humanness, Jesus has to end this day tired and exhausted. And by the end of the day, the adrenaline that had probably carried him through the day, because you've had days like that, and I know I've had days like that, where you come to the end of the day and this adrenaline has carried you all day, and you draw to the end of the day, and you're kind of coming down off of all of that adrenaline. And you just feel socked, right? I believe that's how Jesus had to feel this day. His strength was fading, and he was running on empty. So I want us to see a few things that Jesus does when he truly is running on empty and exhausted. By the way, have you had days like that? Have you had weeks like that, right? So we can relate, but I want you to see Jesus can relate too. And it's important for us to put those things together so that when we see how Jesus responds this morning, we realize that this is practical stuff that I can apply to my life. And if Jesus did, how much more do I need to be doing it? And everyone said, right? So it's practical this morning. Supper's over. Fish and loaves multiplied and served. Leftovers collected. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Father, would you bless this couple of verses this morning? And may these verses help us to find the the fuel that we need to do all that you have called us to do in our own lives as we desire to live for you. May you guide us by these words today, and may we make the choice to apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A few things that Jesus does to refuel his soul when he's running on empty. First thing he does is he dismisses the crowd. He dismisses the crowd. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples, it tells us, get into the boat and go ahead ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. I love how Matthew puts this. Jesus makes the disciples get in the boat, right? Think about who these people were. Like these were the guys closest to him in life, right? I mean, this is his inner circle. And yet Jesus says, hey guys, I need you to, to get in the boat and go on ahead of me, right? I, I need you guys to go. And, and then he dismisses the crowd. He tells the crowd who he'd been ministering to all day, and I, and I just have to believe that in a crowd as large as this one would have been, that Jesus probably could have went on ministering for many more hours, but there finally came a point where Jesus says, hey guys, you know what, it's time to wrap things up. Think about how hard that would have been. Think about how that when you see God work in a special way, especially if you're with a group of other people or you've been in one of those services where God has just come on the scene. And I know as a pastor, on those days, it's hard to dismiss the crowd. 
Why? Because people are excited about what's taking place and what's going on. Multiply that many times over as you have thousands of people who have been changed and touched and healings take place and people who came and couldn't walk were walking away. And I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. The great things that have been done that day, not to mention how Jesus took just a, a handful of lunch and multiplied it and fed everybody. Are you kidding me? You want me to go home? Right? And yet Jesus says, you know what, it's, it's time to wrap things up and, and it's time to go. He dismisses the disciples and he dismisses the crowd. I wonder this morning, what makes up the crowd in your life? What makes up the crowd in your life? All of these things that Jesus, as he dismissed, these were all things, Jesus loved these people. He was compact. When he was wore out, he stopped to men. Are you kidding me? Jesus loved everybody that he is sending away. And there are a lot of things in our life that we love and cherish and care for. What makes up the crowd in your life? The crowd can be family and friends, coworkers, associates, neighbors, but the crowd is more than just people. Think about this. The crowd is anything that captures your time and attention and brings noise into your life. Noise isn't a bad thing. Noise is a good thing. Nothing warms my heart more, uh, and, and these are other things, but nothing warms my heart more than at Thanksgiving time or Christmas time when all the family's in and the whole house is buzzing with noise. Isn't that a good noise? And there's a lot of good noise in our life. I mean, when you go home at night and you hear the rustling of the kids or, or whatever's taking place, I mean, those are good things, positive things. When I come to church, I mean, before services and back in, around the donut area, man, you talk about good noise, right? Buzzing. All good things. But anything, this crowd is anything that's left unchecked that can overwhelm me to a point that I'm empty of what I need the most. Because even good things can leave us running on empty and everybody said, even good things. These are some other things that can be, go back to that slide if you would please. These are some other things that bring noise into our life and a lot of times they're part of our crowd and you can pick out the ones you know and if you don't know any of them, a lot of them have to do with, with listening and watching and, and taking in media. Not bad, right? Not bad things. Just things that are part of the crowd. Things that kind of compete for our attention. I asked some people this week, I said, would you list out some things for me? Just respond kind of to, to this question. What are the things that left unchecked can crowd out your alone time with Jesus? What are some things that if it's just left unchecked can crowd out your alone time with Jesus? All of them are good things. Nothing inherently wrong with any of them. But see if you can relate to some of these. Work. Sleep. No, wake up is what I meant, right? Some of you. <laughs> Sleep, right? Social media, hobbies, TV, time with kids, time with spouse, sports, honey-do list, right? Okay, okay yeah. It's homework. This one I, it wasn't for me, but my heart resonated. Feeling the need to respond immediately to everything going on around me. 
when I get a text, when I get a phone call, when I get an email, when feeling the need to respond immediately, when the kids say dad, when the kids say mom, right? Feeling the need to respond in that moment. The list goes on. People, relationships, responsibilities, things I enjoy. Nothing I've mentioned, there's wrong with any of it, but it all makes up the crowd. And the problem is, is that we spend so much time in the crowd and we never take the time to do what Jesus did. And that is dismiss the crowd long enough to, and we're going to see this, to get alone. The crowd is around us all the time and we allow it to invade our space to a point that we never take time to step away from the crowd. For Jesus, there was always going to be people to teach and to heal and to feed and to show compassion to and to share with. And yet there were regular times when he realized that he had to step away from all of that and get alone and spend time with the Father. He needed to refuel, if you will, right? And we need the same. One of the reasons we run on empty so often and one of the reasons that we're not effective in our spiritual life the way that we should be is because we don't operate with our spiritual tank full. We, we operate so much on empty and we try to do the things that God wants us to do and we try to be effective in the workplace and we try to be a good parent and we try to be a good friend and the list goes on and on and on and on and yet we're trying to do all of that on empty because because we don't take time to say, you know what, I need to step away for a season and I need to spend time with God, allowing him to refuel my heart. And often, instead of sending the crowd away regularly, catch this, we send Jesus away regularly. Instead of telling the crowd that, you know what, we need to step away, it's Jesus that we push away in the process. We have to make the choice to dismiss the crowd as Jesus did. And then I want you to see once he dismisses the crowd, he withdrew alone. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, alone, by himself. He sends the disciples away. He dismisses the crowd and then he goes up on the mountainside by himself. We need to get alone. I wonder this morning, where's your mountainside? Where's the place that you go to get alone with God? The Sunday night study that we've been doing, um, one of the questions asked in that was, it talked about having a chair, a place that you can go and get alone with God, and a long description was put into that. It could be a chair in a quiet place. It could be a chair in the living room every morning. That's, that's my solitude. That's my place that I run to. I, I, I long for that time with God. It could be in your car. It could be a place in your basement where you just kind of slip down there. It could be, a, could be a bedroom in your house. could be your garage. I read about John Wesley's mother. I think she had 12 children, and her quiet place was, or her, or, her, or her place of solitude with the Lord was in her chair in the living room with all of the kids playing, and she would take her apron and throw it up over her head. And she trained her kids not to bother her when her apron was over her head because that was the time she was spending with Jesus. And as I listen to that story, I laugh a little bit and think about how in the world would you ever do that? And yet it was her intentional, it was her intentional uh, uh, action to just say, Lord, here I am, and my desire is to hear from you. What would happen if we made intentional actions to say, God, here I am, and my desire is to hear from you? 
The problem is, is that some of us have walked with the Lord for many, many, many years, and yet we've never found that regular time to open our heart to him and say, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. This is my time with you today, God, where I want you to pour into my life. Jesus, God alone. The problem so often for us is today is that the reason we don't get alone is because we can't hardly stand the silence. Many of us, we don't have to be like Wesley's mom and, and have all the noise in the apron. We can slip off by ourselves. We can get up early. We have time in the car. The list goes on and on. We can spend that time. But we really don't like the silence all that much. We're so programmed to go. And we're so programmed to talk. And we're so programmed to listen. And we're so programmed to engage in something all the time. If we don't do anything, we've been programmed that it's somehow wasting our time, right? And so we have to have all of these things that are just coming at us from every direction, noise and activity. And when we try to withdraw from that, we go into what I kind of like, think is a lot like a withdrawal mode where, where it's almost like we're so addicted to it that when we step away from it, we can't hardly stand it. So to get alone and get quiet with God, I mean really quiet with him, is almost something that we can't even think about. And if you don't believe me, here's a test for you this week. When you get in the car this week, don't turn on the radio. Don't, don't start your phone up and listen to a podcast. Just get in the car, start it, and drive where you're going in the, in the quiet. And then think about how far you get down the road before you feel like you're going to go mad because there's no, don't talk on your phone, right? And, and you're looking at one of the guys who's the most guilty at talking on their phone while they're driving. It goes into drive, the phone comes off the console, and I'm talking to somebody, right? Try it. Just in the quietness, drive and listen and tell me. If in the 5 or 10 or 15 minute trip, inside there's not something that's, that's craving for noise in our life. Here's the reality. When we begin to push back the crowd a little bit, and we begin to invite the silence, and we begin to in invite God into the silence, it won't be long. And instead of craving the noise... We're going to be craving that quiet time with God because when we create room for him to speak, when we create room for him to pour himself into our lives and, and our surroundings and the things that are going on, he will begin to do that and we will crave that time to hear him and to understand him. I don't know this morning if any of this is connecting, but I believe with all my heart that we need to practice his presence. A.W. Tozer said this. I printed it, I believe, in your handout. It's on the screen this morning. I printed it for you because it's a lot to capture with me saying it and you reading it on the screen. But I believe we need to capture it. It might well be a wonderful revelation to some Christians if they were to get completely quiet for a short time, long enough, let us say, to get acquainted with their own souls and to listen in the silence for the deep voice of the eternal God. The experience, if repeated often enough, would do more to cure our ulcers than all the pills that ever rolled across a desk.
Let the weight of that settle on you. What he's saying in reverse is that we worry and fret and we get so upset about so many different things. And if we would just step back and dismiss the crowd and get in the presence of the God that we say we serve. And what I mean by that is we say we serve a God who can do the impossible. We say we serve a God who could do all things exceedingly abundantly, anything we can ask or imagine. We say we serve a God that can heal and comfort and provide and help. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And yet we never run to him. And yet we don't pull away from the crowd and really spend time seeking him and desiring for him to pour himself into us and remind us that he is there and that he's in control. You see, when we're going through these hardships because we're going to have trouble and we're going to have problems, and when we go through those things, if we're withdrawing and we're saying, God, it's a new day, I need that new provision, would you pour yourself into me today? He's promised that he will do it. But the problem is we're so caught up in the crowd that we never step away and say, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. I need to hear from you. Psalm 4610 simply says this, be still and know that I am God. Now, I don't know where you have that scripture hanging. You probably have it written down somewhere. I know you've got it memorized. For us, it sits right inside the door on a, on a shelf. It's on a, it's on a picture, and it says that right there. It's fitting that it's in the, mo- it's in the busiest place of our home but it's not far from my chair. We've gotta have a place where we're reminded God wants to speak. Withdrew from the crowd, he got alone. Because our strength is not found in the noise, it's found in the silence. And then I want you to see that he prayed. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus prayed. When he got alone, he spent time in prayer. I don't know about you, but I wish the prayers of Jesus to his Father were recorded, don't you? Most of the time, we don't know what takes place in those moments. In fact, almost all of the time. But we know that he was praying. Jesus sets the example that we need to withdraw and get alone with God, and we need to spend time communing with him. Wayne Cordero, he's an author. He defines prayer this way. He says, prayer is thinking deeply about something in the presence of God. Thinking deeply about something in the presence of God. Getting alone with God and dwelling on whatever it is that we want to bring before him. So often we find ourselves, if we withdraw, and, and if we get alone, so often we find ourselves in those prayer times with our whole list of things that we want God to do for us. Now don't get me wrong this morning, there's nothing wrong with asking. Jesus tells us to ask. Bring your petitions and your cares and your burdens to me. So don't leave today saying, Pastor said we couldn't ask God for anything, right? That's not what I'm saying. That's a part of our prayer time. But so often we spend our time in prayer to God and, and, and we're lifting up all of these things. We're asking and we're asking and we're asking him to work and do and provide and help. And then when we're done with that portion of it, we normally close things off right there and begin our day or go back about our business. And what I believe we need to do is we need to get alone with God. And we need to open our heart to him. And we need to let him 
pour into us. Sure, lift your needs to him, but don't stop short of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why I love this definition of prayer, thinking deeply about something in the presence of God. When we finally make it to this prayer time, we have to spend time there really asking God and listening to God and trusting God and believing that he can come into those moments and provide all that we need. This God who we believe is approachable and available, who's standing by, ready to talk to us and speak to us in this moment, that's what we need the most. That's the real refueling of the Holy Spirit. That's when that comes, is when we get alone and get quiet and allow God to speak. Jesus did it, and he did it often. I remind you of the, of the quick verse. It's really pretty short, Luke 5, 16, that says Jesus, and here's the word, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. They're not all recorded, but this verse is enough for us to know that it was a frequent part of his routine. He, he got away. He did it often. Details of what happened, as I said, we don't know most of them, but we can, we can speculate a few of them. There's one when Jesus gets away, and, and, and it's after the, right after right before, rather, that he chooses the 12 that will be with him. Jesus had withdrawn just before he chooses them. He'd withdrawn away. In fact, the verses in Luke 6, it says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called all of his disciples together and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. So Jesus withdraws away, and one of the things he prays while he's withdrawn, we can speculate, is I need the wisdom to do the right thing. In his humanness, he needed the wisdom to know exactly what God would have him to do. I don't know about you, but I want to know God's will for my life. Don't you? We want to know what God desires for us. And if we truly want to know that, the only way that we're going to find it is when we withdraw from the crowd and we get alone and we seek God. It's the way that we have to do it. But so often we rush through these decisions. And so what often happens is we're running on empty anyway. We're running on empty anyway. Decisions come. And instead of stepping aside and really calling out to God, we kind of rush through those decisions. And before we know it, we've made wrong decisions and we're left with the pieces when if we would have just sought the Lord and desired for him to speak and allowed him to work, he would have been faithful to do that. In this passage this morning, Jesus was mourning and tired as he withdraws. And we could speculate that he was weary. And so we know that when we find ourselves hurt and mourning and burdened and weary, that as we step away, that the Lord will come and he will provide all that we need and help us to be renewed, help us to continue to minister. He'll give us peace and assurance and strength and healing and comfort. All of these are part of the, tra of the table that's spread for us every single day if we'll just withdraw and get alone and call upon the one who wants to help us the most. One picture, the last picture that we see of Jesus in prayer before his crucifixion was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember? And here we're actually, we're actually invited in, right? The curtain is kind of pulled back and we're invited in to hear what Jesus is calling out in prayer. You might remember what it says in Matthew 26. My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not my will. It was in these moments that Jesus would wrestle with what he wanted versus what God wanted 
I wonder how in our lives, if we would just take time to get alone, how we might be able to hash out the difference between our own selfish desires and God's perfect will for our lives. That's what Jesus is showing us here, is if we truly want to walk in the will of God, even in the midst of, of hardship, even in the midst of times when we have to do the tough thing, that God will guide us and direct us and show us, but we have to step away and we have to seek God and allow him to speak as we pray. When we get alone with God and spend time with him and quiet the noise and pray, he's gonna listen, he's gonna speak, he's gonna guide us, he's gonna lead us, he's gonna refuel us and renew us and give us the power that we need to keep on doing what he's called us to do. Jesus would soon right, be right back in the center of ministry with people all around him and the disciples up close. But it was that time away that made all the difference. I know it's not easy. I know that the enemy will do everything he can to try to keep you from quiet time with God. I've been preparing this message to share with you and um, I wrapped it up fairly early in the week with the intention of having most of the day yesterday to just kind of let it soak in. And uh, if you don't know what that means, that's okay. Just kind of mull it over some more. And, uh, and spend some alone time with God. Here I am, you know, I'm, pre I'm preaching to you about it. And so uh, my, my intent was yesterday to pull away for a while and just spend some of that time with him. Yesterday morning, Michelle woke up and I heard the words that a husband never wants to hear, especially with three young children in our home now. Honey, I'm not feeling good. And I said, well, um, let me pray for you. You're going to be fine. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And uh, within the hour, she's come down with what is so going, on around, going around so much. And she's still in bed this morning. Needless to say, my plan for alone time yesterday went out the window, right, in a lot of ways. I was kind of finding myself going back and forth with God yesterday afternoon, you know. Lord, I need more time. Like, I need to be thinking about this, and I need, these are all the things I need to do, and I want to spend time with you. I mean, that's what, and it wasn't long late yesterday evening. Um, I sensed, you know, um, Lord, thanks for reminding me. Because it's easy for me to get up and tell you, and, and a lot of you are sitting there going, well, pastor, you only work one day a week. You've got all kinds of time to be alone with God. I want to tell you that I realize that it's, it's not easy. I realize your schedules are full. For some of you, you've got three or more young kids in the house or you know, a lot going on. You've got commitments. Your kids have commitments. You're running every direction, going full blast. But hear me this morning. The choice for us to dismiss the crowd and to step away and to call upon the God who could provide all we need is crucial. And the old saying, where there's a will, there's a way, it's true. Because what I've found even overnight is that when we pray and say, God, my, my true desire is to have time with you, my true desire is to spend time in your presence. It may not be exactly when you want it or how you want it, but God's going to open up those doors if you'll walk through them. 
Now this is silly, okay? But this little one that we're caring for, like he's been up like every night, in the middle of the night multiple times. That's what Michelle's told me anyway. I believe her. So last night, I knew who was in charge, right? Kendra. No, I'm kidding. Um, Michelle told me this morning, he didn't wake up all night. And uh, I got up early and had time with God and all that worked out. Michelle tells me this morning as I'm leaving, she said, um, how's Leon? I said, he's doing fine. Um, he's still sleeping. I'm kind of worried about him, you know. And she said, well, that's what I've been, that's what I've been praying for. I've been praying all night that he would sleep so you could get some rest and so you could get up and have time with the Lord this morning. See, I believe with all my heart that when we desire it, that God will provide it. I believe that if you desire it and you hunger for it enough in your life that you want to spend this time, that somewhere in the 168 hours across the week, that if you'll get intentional about saying, God, this time is yours today, however it works, I want to spend time with you, would you open it? He's going to provide that for you. But you see, we have to want it. We have to desire it. We have to value it. We have to realize that that's where our power comes from. Folks, we run on empty so much. The power that we need is not really, really. Now, there probably are some things that maybe need to be subtracted from our life and our schedule. But really, what we need more than subtraction is the addition of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, you've got to figure out where subtraction is necessary. But what I know is we need the power of the Spirit working in us. And where we receive that is when we get alone with him. I'd like for you to stand with me this morning. Pastor Nathan's going to come. Bow your heads with me. This is one of the quietest moments that you have in the whole week. I'm not trying to tell you what to do this morning or manipulate in any way. But we've got 15 minutes of quiet time for us to seek the God of all creation who cares about you. And this morning, here's a chance to just let the crowd be quiet and to just draw near to God and call upon him. The two outer altars this morning, the two outer altars this morning, if you want to come and just spend time with him. Nobody will bother you. Nobody will come to you. You can just have that quiet time alone. Call upon him. Seek him. The inner altars, if you want to come to those, we'll pray with you and be glad to support you and encourage you. But here's what I would love today. It's for us to get alone with the God who loves us and created us and let him pour his spirit into us afresh. Lord, we love you today. Our ears are open. Our heart is open. May we be obedient to what you're speaking right now in Jesus' name.